Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare, a medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine. He is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right, folks, well, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio, coming to you today from our studios here at the Sacred Heart Chapel. Um, always a pleasure to be with our audience. You know, a couple days ago, we celebrated Independence Day, 4th of July here in the United States. And we always say, Happy Independence Day, Happy 4th of July. Really, what does that mean? We're independent. Um, means I don't depend on anybody else? Not necessarily. We got to remember why we are independent, why our forefathers um, decided to have a revolution. But before we do that, and before we get into that and figure out what does that have to do with my Catholic faith, let's go ahead and get started with the Angelus here at the top of the noon hour. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, the Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke and we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, folks, we're talking about independence. We're talking about what does it mean to be independent, especially as a Catholic, what does that really mean? You know, when we look at the 4th of July, we look at our independence as a country. We were independent from a few different things. If we look at what our forefathers said we were independent from, we were worried about the tyranny of England, right? So at that point, they were saying, when in the course of human events, our Declaration of Independence, it becomes necessary for one people, right? And we were going to avoid the tyranny. Why? Because the tyranny was preventing us from being able to be free, not just free people to do whatever we wanted, but free to do what we knew was supposed to be the right thing to do. It's an interesting concept. I want to be independent from that which is keeping me from being free. So there's something keeping me from being free. I'm not saying I just want to be free, but there's something keeping me from doing what I need to do. What does that mean or what? how does that translate into our Catholic faith? The big topic that I think of is the topic of forgiveness. It's a really challenging topic to think about, but when we think about what does it mean to be Catholic, what does it mean to be able to follow my faith, what does it mean to be able to be free to follow my faith, one, I want to be able to express myself. I want to be able to uh, say, gosh, this is my faith. This is how I want to follow it. 
that's one battle that we have. That's one thing where we say, I want to be independent to be able to follow my faith the way I want to. But this is a little bit of a different battle. This is a battle even within our own faith. This is a battle even when I am free to follow my faith, say that there's, let's just say there's no government entity or there's not somebody coming in telling me I can't follow my faith, which that's not necessarily the case right now. We always are fighting to be able to worship as we know we want to, according to our catechism, according to the deposit of the faith, according to the way we know we are supposed to worship. But this is a little bit of a different topic. A lot of times we don't realize that we are not free to follow our faith because we tie our own selves up. And that's a little bit hard to accept. Some people don't realize that. And the biggest topic that has come up lately, and the reason I wanted to do this show on this topic is a lot of people have been asking me, what's going on? You know, there's different things going on in my family. I feel betrayed. I feel like somebody, um, you know, did me wrong and I'm not ready to forgive them. I'm not ready to forgive them. They were in the wrong. I was in the right. And boy, I'm not, I'm not going to let that go. And I'm going to go pray and I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to be the best person I can be, but mm, I'm not ready to, to say, you know what? That person will be forgiven. There's lots of different reasons why we get into this mindset. The hard part with that though, is that believe it or not, all of a sudden we just trapped ourselves. We are no longer independent. We don't, we don't have independence of ourselves. We're, I'm not ready and, and able to worship God for as much as I want to, I'm not going to be able to go to church and freely uh, worship and say, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to merit all these graces. Now I'm going to be in a good place. I'm going to be able to, uh, show God that I am so good. And this person is so bad. It actually doesn't work that way. Even if that's factual, even if we can say, look, this person factually hurt me, this person factually offended me, this person betrayed me, this person, whatever it is that happened to us, if I'm not ready to forgive that person, if I'm not ready to let it go, I'm not going to be able to uh, worship freely. Why? Well, there's, there was a question that was posed and the question was, is it a sin to not forgive? Hmm. It's an interesting question, right? Because I could say, no, I'm not going to forgive that person. Am I now sinning? Do I now have to go to confession and say, I'm, I'm choosing to not forgive somebody? And if I don't choose to forgive people, am I worthy of forgiveness myself? Am I going to be able to forgive myself? If it is a sin, what commandment does that go against? There's no, there's no commandment that says that shall forgive in the 10 commandments, but let's look at a few Bible verses. Let's look at where this comes up. And we're going to, I'm going to give you a story a little bit later on in the show, um, about, you know, a situation with a patient I had and where forgiveness came into play. And there was actually something that we call healing. Now, I say something we call healing. You're saying, Dr. Sandoval, I know what healing is. You know, I go to the doctor, I take my medication, I get better, I'm healed. There's a little bit of a different healing and we're going to explore that topic a little bit. But first, let's look at one of the Bible verses about forgiveness. Let's look at Matthew chapter 18, 21 to 22. And this is where I would ask, are we truly independent if we don't forgive? This is what it says. Again, this is Matthew chapter 18, 21 to 22. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Here's St. Peter being generous. Somebody's going to look at the question. How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Well, already I'm not here to judge anybody, but if we just look at that question, because I wasn't there for the whole conversation, obviously, 
But St. Peter's already putting himself in a place where he's in the right and somebody else was in the wrong. If we look at how he worded that question, how often will my brother sin against me? You notice he's saying he's not sinning, but somebody's sinning against him. Somebody's, somebody's hurting him, and I am in a position where I can forgive him. So I'm obviously on the pedestal here. Somebody hurt me. I'm in the right. I have every right to say he was wrong. And by the old law, of course, it's an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And St. Peter's being generous since he's saying, can I forgive him seven times? That's pretty generous, right? Because he's, if he hurts me seven times, boy, that's, that's pretty good. I've already forgiven him up to seven times, and now I'm done. Now I'm done forgiving him, right? Now I can be independent. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, seven times, seven times. Now, if we do the math, of course, we're going to say, well, 490 times. Okay, that's, that's a lot, you know, 490. But really, if we're going to look at this, Jesus is saying, don't put yourself on a pedestal because we're comparing ourselves to human ideals. We're comparing ourselves to how often we, will, we are willing to forgive as humans. But from Jesus's perspective, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, 70 times, seven times. Jesus is saying, how often does God forgive you? If you're questioning how often you should forgive somebody, first ask yourself, how often have you been forgiven? It's an important concept to consider. Because if I choose to not forgive somebody, that tells me that there are some sins then, there are some faults that are not forgivable right? Because we're always worried. We're saying, oh gosh, there's some sins that aren't going to be forgiven. Is every sin going to be forgiven? Will God forgive all my sins? (gasps) No, there's the sin against the Holy Spirit. And that's the one that can't be forgiven. And a lot of people get scared and they say, oh, no, I do not ever want to find myself in that situation because I want to get to heaven. I do not want to be in a position where all of a sudden I can't be forgiven and I can't make it into heaven. So I don't even know. Some people say, I don't even want to know what that sin is against the Holy Spirit. I don't even want to be able to say that I knew what that was and I actually committed that sin. Well, it's an interesting concept to consider because at some point when it comes to our judgment time, we don't want to not have that option to be forgiven. We don't want to say, hey, you know, I'm not going to be, I can't make it to heaven. No, I want all my sins forgiven. I want God to be able to see me and to see that I was weak and that I, was, that I wasn't thinking straight and that I didn't know what I was doing. I want him, I want to be free to go to heaven. I want to be able to be independent in heaven. I want to be fully forgiven. Am I willing to extend the same? That's really what Jesus is saying here. St. Peter is saying, well, how many times can I forgive before I can hold the grudge? How many times can I forgive before I say, I'm sorry, but you've offended me too many times? Jesus is really saying here, well, how many times do you want God to forgive you? Do you want God to forgive you for every single one of your sins so that you can make it into heaven? Do you want to go into the promised land? If you do, then that means God has to forgive you for as many times as you've offended him, which in turn means you have to forgive for as many times as you have been forgiven. I mean, it's, it, it's a hard concept to accept sometimes because I don't necessarily want to forgive people, but there's a consequence to that. There's something happens when, that happens when I don't forgive. There's something that happens to me in body, mind, and soul if I choose to hold on to a grudge. And we're going to look at how that looks when we come back from this break and we talk about a very particular case that I had to deal with with one of my patients. More about, more on forgiveness after the break.
folks. Well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. And today we are talking about how we celebrate our independence as Catholics. And one of the most important things that we can do to celebrate our independence as Catholics or to be independent Catholics is honestly to forgive. If we don't forgive, if we can't forgive from the heart, we're trapped. There's no question about it. It's going to become a burden. It's going to become a wound. And one of the questions is, is it a sin to not forgive? We're going to look at that as we move on in the show. But first, let's look at this Bible verse from Luke chapter 12, verse 57 to, I'm sorry, wrong one. I'm sorry about that. So this is uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 to 26. This is important. A lot of people come up to me and say, you know, even in counseling sessions, I'm not ready to forgive. I'm not ready to forgive. And I tell them that you're not ready to heal. If we're not ready to forgive, then we're saying, you know, obviously I was in the right. I don't ever want this person to ever feel that they were in the right. I don't ever want them to feel like, you know, what they did to me was okay. I don't want them to be happy about it. I don't want them to have a good life. We are really wishing ill will on someone else when we don't forgive them. And it can be akin to a curse. If I choose to not forgive somebody, I'm obviously wishing them ill. To wish somebody ill is really to curse them. That's really what it comes down to. If you look in the world of deliverance, if we're dealing with any kind of afflictions, uh, any kind of diabolic afflictions, any kind of concerns for possession, things along those lines, if you're looking at oppressions, if you're looking at things like that, one of the first things I like to ask people is, is there anybody you have not forgiven? Is there anybody that you are holding a grudge against? Is there anybody that you feel that they have done you so wrong that they can never, that they're not worthy of your forgiveness. One of the things to consider there is my forgiveness isn't even perfect. I'm human. The only perfect forgiveness is from God. That's why confession is so important. The sacrament of confession, any exorcist will tell you, I repeat this all the time. The sacrament of confession is worth 10, a hundred, a thousand exorcisms. When people say I need an exorcism, ah, you need to be free. You need to be, something's trapping. You need to be free. Have you forgiving people or are you holding on to the sin of non-forgiveness? That is a big, big deal in the world of deliverance and freedom. But let's look at this Bible passage again. This is uh, the, the Matthew chapter five, um, verse 21. This is Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said to them of old, thou shall not kill. And whoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever shall say to his brother, and they use the word raka, which means worthless, um, shall be in danger of the council. And whoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Look at this. Whoever is angry with his brother and in danger of judgment. Let's back up a little bit. So this is where 22 starts. Uh, verse 22 that whosoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger of judgment. That's where it starts. So is it a sin to not forgive? That tells us right there automatically it is a sin. We will only be judged by our sins and our good works. And if Jesus is telling us, hey, if you're angry with your brother, which obviously means you have not forgiven your brother, you're holding on to an anger, you're not independent, you're not ready to go into heaven. Everybody who's in heaven has a few things going on. There's, there's some very very important commonalities in heaven. Everybody in heaven has humility. There's no question about it because that means that you accepted God's mercy and everybody in heaven has forgiven everybody else for every and any offense that has been, that has occurred. 
can't go into heaven without it because as Jesus says here, whoever shall say to his brother Raka or that you're worthless shall be in danger of the council, the council being judgment. And whoever shall say thou fool to their brother shall be in danger of hell fire. Now, these are one of those Bible verses that a lot of people will love to tell you. Ah, you got to take it metaphorically. You got to take it, you know, I don't know that Jesus really meant, nope, this one's pretty literal. You know, danger of hellfire, there's no, you, you can't get uh, metaphorical about that. This is Jesus himself speaking. This is why if you hear people uh, tell you, uh, you know what, there's no hell, really. God forgives everybody. Everybody goes to heaven. No, Jesus is telling us very specifically, there is a hell and there is a really, there's a really big risk of you being in hellfire if you have not forgiven your brother. So the Bible verse goes on to say, if therefore thou offer the, thy gift at the altar and thou remember that thy brother hath anything against thee. So now notice that he doesn't even say that you have something against your brother. Now you got to stop and ask, does anybody have anything against me? This is important to consider because it starts off with saying, if you're angry with your brother, but now you got to ask yourself, is anybody angry at me? Because when we say, I'm not going to forgive people, that puts us in a place where I feel like I'm, am I perfect? Am I supreme? Have I never faulted anybody? Am I in a position where I don't need forgiveness myself? I think that if I, I think for me to be able to say, I'm not going to forgive somebody, boy, I, I better be pretty darn perfect. But this is where it says, if you remember that anybody has anything against thee, leave there thy offering before the altar and go first to be reconciled with thy brother. And then coming thou shalt offer thy gift. First, you have to be reconciled. There has to have been a forgiveness or you can't really offer a gift to God. You're not ready for heaven. God's not going to accept that gift. Be at agreement with thy adversary while thou art on the way with him. So make amends before you come to the altar. Make amends before you come to the judgment. Make amends with whoever you need to make amends with. But recognize that somebody might have something against you, which means that in order to make amends, I have to ask for forgiveness. This is where the humility part comes in. I need to be able to recognize that I need forgiveness too before I can say, no, I'm not going to forgive anybody. That's a pretty, it's a pretty um, daunting place to be because we don't always feel that way. That anger can consume us. And that's when we're not free. We are not free. We can't celebrate our independence if we haven't forgiven anybody. But Dr. Sandoval, it was a pretty bad abuse. Somebody abused me pretty heartedly. I don't want to get into the details of it, but let's just say that it was criminal and I've been violated. Do I need to forgive that person? We can answer that question in a second here. Now, this is where the Bible passage ends. Um, he says, Amen, I say to thee, thou shalt not go from thence till thou repay the last farthing. What does that mean? It means that if I'm not ready to forgive and somebody's not ready to forgive me, then prices must be paid. We have to look at everything that must be owed. We have to look at everything in terms of, you know, who needs to pay for what. If we're willing to forgive our debts, there's no longer those details. There's no longer, we're willing to say, you know what, let's just start over. Let's forget about these debts. That's how we get into heaven. Isn't that what we're hoping God will do for us when we get to that judgment seat, when we're sitting there in the heavenly courtroom in front of the council, 
are we not hoping that God will say, you know what, can we start over? Let's just get you into heaven. Let's, let's enjoy our relationship with each other. That's ultimately what we hope for. Are, am I willing to extend that to someone else? It's a question to ask because if I'm not, I am going to trap myself. I'm going to be in a position where it's not, uh, it's not gonna, I'm not going to be free to go into heaven. I'm going to have too much baggage. I can't walk in through that door with that baggage. Now, is there a time where Jesus, do we know that Jesus can forgive us that way? If I want to see that what it's like to forgive somebody, is it going to hurt or is it going to feel good? You know, it depends. It depends on the situation. It depends on what we're holding on to. But for the most part, I think that this is a good place to remember Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing and they cast lots to divide his clothing. Let's remember when Jesus said that though. Jesus didn't say that after he resurrected, right? This is Luke 23, 34. Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. In that moment, they were crucifying him. Forgiveness is going to feel like nails going into our hands and our feet if we don't do it out of charity and love and with the humility to recognize I'm going to need forgiveness too. And if this is what it's going to take for me to make up for my sins, maybe I can forgive people and say, you know what, what you did was not right, but I'm going to forgive you, which means that what does it really mean to forgive? I mean, honestly speaking, does it mean that they're not going to be in pain? Does it mean that it's okay? Does it mean that um, what they did was okay? What does it really mean to forgive? It's an interesting question to ask because if I say I forgive somebody, we always say, but that means I'm going to let them off the hook. That means that they're not going to pay. Is that true? Well, here's the way I would pose that question. What do we ask for when we ask for forgiveness from God? When I'm in that confessional, what kind of independence do I want? What am I asking for? Am I asking for freedom? Am I asking for freedom just to be forgiven of my sins and now I have to go pay for them? Or am I hoping that God will forgive me to the point where he says, all is forgiven, you have no more debts, and you can come into heaven without any payment? I guess by the measure that we measure, we shall be measured. We shall be judged. So the real question is, to what point am I willing to forgive people? At what point do I want to be forgiven? To what point do I want to be freed from my sins? At what point do I want to be independent of the burden of my sins? That's how we're going to be measured. That, that's what Jesus tells us. However we, uh, are, however we judge people is how we're going to be judged. If I can say, you know what? Whatever happened to me might have been terrible. Whatever somebody did to me might have been terrible. But I'm willing to forgive them to the extent that I don't even want them to pay for anything. I just want to love God. I just want to focus on God. If this is going to keep me from being close to God, then why am I holding on to it? I don't want anybody to pay for any of their sins. I'm not here. I'm not God. I'm not the judge. That's the humility that we have to have. Is that easy to do? No, because it hurt. Because whatever happened to us, whatever we feel that people need forgiveness for, must have hurt us to an extent that we want to hold on to it. We don't want to let them know that it was okay. But then we got to flip that coin. If I have hurt somebody, to what extent do I want to be forgiven? To what extent do I want any of these judgments to 
slide off my back, shall we say. Let's look at another Bible verse. This is 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Am I willing to do that for other people? What does it really mean to forgive? Here's what it really means to forgive other people. It really means this. I am willing to let go of that sin so that person can make it into heaven. Am I willing to allow everybody to go into heaven? Well, that's a big question, right? Am I willing to allow everybody to go to heaven? Is that my place? Is it even my place to say that? All of a sudden, I'm putting myself in a God-type position. And that's one of the biggest challenges of not forgiving people. Who am I to not forgive if God has already forgiven my sins? Who am I to not forgive if God already, even before I committed the sin, is God has God already forgiven my sins? Possibly. Yeah, God's already going to say, look, it was already forgiven. How do we know that? Well, we're going to see that when we come back from the break. But the important part is to ask ourselves, am I willing to want to go to heaven? And am I willing for everybody else to, to want for everybody else to go to heaven? More on this topic after the break. All right, folks, so welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. Today, we are talking about what does it really mean to be free and what keeps us from being free in our Catholic journey. And one of those big topics is, am I willing to forgive people or not? St. John Paul II said, freedom consists not in doing what we like, but in having the right to do what we ought. It's really the freedom to say, you know what? This is what I should do. Am I free to practice my religion? Am I free to be a man of God? Am I free to try to follow God the way I know how? But do I want that freedom for other people as well? If I hold on to grudges, if I hold on to unforgiveness, as we say, not only am I trapping myself, I'm trapping others in the world of deliverance. That would be like a curse. Let me tell you a little bit of story about a patient I had one time. He was a man in about his 40s. Um, He was in his 40s, but shall we say he was in his 40s going on 60. What happened to this man? You know, when he would come in, he was in his 40s, but he was somebody that when you walked into a room, you walked into the waiting room, you looked across the room and you could tell that this person was tired. He was sitting down and he was hunched over. There was a weight on him. Even as he stood up, he already, he was kind of hunched back a little bit. Now keep in mind, he was in his forties. He wasn't old. He was a young guy. He was a young guy. You could say a young man. Um, but as he walked, he was walking slowly, hunched over. He looked tired. He looked frustrated. He was the kind of person who you could tell if you, if you had a conversation with him, you were going to be worn out. His, the topic of his conversation, the tone of his voice, the fruit of his conversation was heavy. It was tiring. He was tired. And he was going to make you tired. The topics weren't going to be fun. There wasn't going to be any levity. No matter what you brought up, he would find something a little bit burdensome. He would, uh, you could tell him that you're going to the most beautiful park and that there were beautiful flowers. And he would tell you about how hard it is to maintain those flowers because it would be a lot of work, a lot of water wasted. You know, you could tell him that you went to the beach and you saw a beautiful sunset and you saw the waves crashing on the shore and it was it was so, so nice. And, you know, the seagulls were flying and it just looked, what a beautiful tropical scene. And he would tell you about all the sewage that's dumped 
in the ocean and about how dirty the ocean was. You know, it was one of these topics of conversation where as he came into my office and I was treating him for what we had diagnosed him with depression at the time, uh, because he was obviously depressed. And even though he was on medication, it wasn't really getting better. The depression was just kind of there. But every time we had a conversation, I knew, ah, I didn't look forward to his visits, not because he was a bad person or anything along those lines, but he brought a heaviness with him. There was something that was heavy. I've treated a lot of people with depression, you know, there's, and every depression is different. Every person is different, but some depression you realize, wow, this, this, something happened at work. You're not in a good place. Let's get you on medication. Let's make sure that, uh, you know, this is temporary, get you on medication for a few months, get you back on your feet. You're feeling better. You know, you have a, um, you're transitioning at work, you're transitioning from one job to another, and that can be pretty challenging. You just graduated from college and you're not sure what you're going to do with your life. That can be actually pretty depressing. People find that ironic. You know, I just got my degree, but boy, what do I do now? I'm not sure what to do. And all of a sudden people can come under a depression. I found my dream job and I'm going in and I'm starting my first month and all of a sudden you fall into depression. Why is that? These things can happen. But when it's a depression like that, you can talk through it. You can look at what caused it. You can look at, you know, a few different things and you can say, hey, let's get you uh, on some medication. Let's get you on some therapy. You can pinpoint it. You can find out exactly what's wrong with it and, and get it better. Those are easy to deal with. I'm not saying it feels good. I'm saying it's pretty easy to deal with uh, overall. And you can see the improvement over time and people get better. And that's wonderful. For this particular gentleman, you know, he's walking in, he sits there and it's the kind of thing where you ask him, well, how are you feeling today? Yeah, same. Okay. Do you think, uh, has anything changed in your life? Anything different from the last time I saw you? Not really. Well, what do you, what do you, it's your regular day like? Yeah, I go to work. He, you know, he had a, a regular job at a hardware store. He just kind of went around and he would stock things and things along those lines. Um, how's work going? I would ask him. Mm, the same, you know, boxes come in. I put the stuff up, clean up. Okay. It was a good job for him because the way he was feeling, he didn't have to interact with people much. He just had to make sure that items were stocked, you know, simple enough. Okay. How's your home life? You know, he was married, but he said his wife kind of didn't talk to him much anymore. And she went out with her friends. His kids were older. They weren't, uh, you know, they were, they were, uh, late teens and early college age. And so they were, you know, just kind of coming and going. I said, what do you do with your days? So let's say that you're not working when, when you're at home. I go and I, I sit, you know, and I, I'll watch TV. Do you have a favorite show? No, I just put on whatever's on. It's just there. It's just on. Okay. What do you do? Uh, you know, do you eat? Are you eating okay? Yeah, whatever my wife makes, you know, I'll eat it. Notice something that there's, there's no enjoyment in life for this person. He's, going to just turn on the television set. He doesn't uh, have a particular schedule of TV shows he likes or find anything interesting. As far as food, you know, most people say, oh, wow, I'm really kind of in the mood for this or that. That's a, that's a sign of life. That's a sign of saying, oh, I really like this flavor of ice cream or I really like this particular dish. This man, if you notice, he really had all the signs of spiritual death. I'm not saying that he was in hell. I'm not saying uh, that, you know, he was uh, completely... Uh, hopeless or anything by any stretch of the imagination, but he did have a spiritual death. There was no life to him. There was nothing, there was no flavor. Jesus tells us we're the salt of the earth and he had no salt to him. There was no flavor at all. He was just kind of 
existing, but not living. And that's a hard place to be. How many times do we find ourselves in that situation where, yeah, I exist, but I don't have a life. There's no flavor to my life. There's no excitement to my life. There's nothing that's making me feel like I want to get up in the mornings. And that's what it was like for him. I mean, he'd get up and go to work just so he could get a paycheck. And the rest of the time, if he didn't have to work, he just existed. He sat on the couch. He didn't have a particular show to watch on TV. He just absorbed the information, which is easy to do with the television, right? We're being entertained. Um, but he really didn't have a sense of saying, you know, this is what I want to do with my life. Or this show is interesting because it makes me think in this way. Um, he stopped thinking for himself. He wasn't thinking at all. But then we get into the interesting questions. Okay, well, while you're sitting there, whether the TV's on or not, or whether, um, you know, you're thinking about what to eat or not, or what, whatever's going on there, while you're sitting there, what's going through your mind? You know, I try not to think too much. Okay. But when you do think, what goes through your mind? And as we were kind of drudging through where he was in life and what he was thinking, what, what excitement he had, because I would ask him, well, what do you do for fun? What do you do to enjoy life? Hmm. Everything was the same for him. You know, it didn't matter if he was sitting on his couch, if he was out in the mountains, if he was, there was nothing inspiring for him. And this is where, you know, the, the, uh, diagnosis of depression was appropriate. That's classic with depression. We call it anhedonia, where you have no longer have joy in life. And this happens. But remember, he was on medication. We tried a few. Nothing really seemed to work. Nothing changed anything. That was a challenging place to be in. These are the tough cases. These are the tougher cases where, as a psychiatrist, I have to start using all my tools. And this is where it's easy for me, especially being a Catholic psychiatrist, to say, I think there's something much deeper going on, something much, something that the medication is not going to touch and something that it may never touch. There's something going on that we need to start to dig a little bit further into the psyche and into the spiritual life. So the more I talked to him and tried to figure out, well, what goes through your mind? The topic came up that indeed he had a brother who had stolen money from him. Now, he didn't come in and steal it from his house but they had a business deal going on. And they said, you know, he had a few properties and his brother was supposed to help him with those properties. And uh, they were rental properties. And the brother was supposed to help him collect the rent and help him with the maintenance on the properties because he couldn't do it himself. Well, needless to say, this man had lost all these properties. And so now that's why he found himself, he wasn't, he wasn't used to working. He used to make a good income from the rental properties, but he ended up losing all these properties because his brother betrayed him. His brother started taking all the income from the properties and telling him that he was using it for the maintenance of the buildings, but he wasn't. He was using it just on himself and going out and, and taking trips and doing things of that nature and having a good time. And in the meantime, this man trusted his brother. He trusted that things were going to the account. So he wasn't also keeping very close tabs on his accounts or anything along those lines. But now he found himself in the situation where the properties, the maintenance had really gone down. He couldn't, uh, he couldn't keep them up anymore. He had ended up selling them at a fraction of what they were worth. And the money that he did um, uh, get from that was not enough. I mean, he had to actually put some back into the properties before he could sell them uh, to fix them up just to make them, you know, market worthy. And then he realized that there wasn't much in his account anymore. He was supposed to have been very comfortable. He was supposed to, uh, he, was, he was planning on that was just going to be his life and his retirement. He's now in his, you know, mid forties and very young to have that, uh, for some people, but his brother who was older than him, 
you know, took this money and, 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 uh, really betrayed him in that way. Well, this man felt that his life was over. He felt that his life was over because now he no longer had the financial means that he once, uh, enjoyed. And he also realized he had to work, but more than anything else, when he was at home, he would sit and he would ruminate and he would think about how his brother betrayed him. He would think about all the money. He would count all the money that he should have had. He would count everything that was stolen from him. He would count how much money he was planning on in the future. And he would do all these things. And some people would say, well, rightfully so. That's what he was counting on. Absolutely. But he was doing it at the cost of not forgiving his brother. And so I would say, gosh, you know, that's, that's a tough position to be in. Your brother took your livelihood. Um, we're now in a different place. He wasn't financially in dire, dire straits. He was okay overall. He just wasn't where he thought he was going to be. The biggest thing though, is he was holding on to this grudge. And I said, well, what condition is your brother in? He's like, well, that's the worst of it. He just squandered the money. So it's not like he's any better off. You know, he's not doing extremely well for himself or anything along those lines. And now I just sit here and think about how both of our lives were ruined. Well, this was a great example to me about how sin affects many people. Obviously, his brother who took his money and who mishandled the finances and the properties, he betrayed the patient, but he betrayed himself too. Nobody was in a better place for it. The sin affected both of them. Are we ready and willing to forgive the sin? Should he even let his brother off the hook? Should they just start over? It's an important question to ask and something to consider. I mean, this is a big deal. Somebody ruined my livelihood. How can I possibly forgive that? It's a challenging place to be, but we're going to look at how the story ends. Come back with break. All right, folks. Well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. Today, we're talking about forgiveness and independence. I want to be free, and I want you to be free. And right now, this moment... When we're talking about forgiveness, I would like to say, I want to forgive everybody and anybody who's ever hurt me in any way. And I say that publicly. Why? For selfish reasons. I want to get into heaven. And if I don't forgive people, I'm not going to be able to get into heaven. Is it that simple? If I think about it that way, yeah, it kind of is actually. Because if I look at the consequences, if I say, gosh, my forgiving people, really, that's what hinges on me being able to go into heaven or not. And that's one of the big ones. I want to forgive people because I want God to forgive me. You know what? I'm not even going to think twice. I'd like to say I forgive everybody. If you've hurt me, I forgive you. Does that mean that I can reconcile a relationship to where we can hang out or talk? Not necessarily. There's lots of situations, folks, where people have been in abusive relationships, where uh, marriages, where there's drug use or where there's uh, physical abuse or things along those lines. I wouldn't recommend reconciling with those people in the sense of reconciling the relationship where you're talking again or things along those lines. Not necessarily that wouldn't be healthy. That wouldn't be logical. Um, we'd have to look at where that person's at. We'd have to look at have they gotten help for themselves. Uh, so in those types of situations, it's okay to say, I'm not going to go say hi to that person again. I'm not going to develop a relationship or a friendship with that person again. But forgiveness is something that happens in the heart. That's why I would be able to say something like, I forgive everybody who's hurt me. I'm not saying I'm going to go call everybody up, but I'm saying in my heart, I am not going to hold on to grudges. And I'm going to say, I want everybody to have the same chance to go into heaven as 
I hope for myself. Why? Because Jesus' precious blood was shed for all of us. And we're actually in the month of July, the month of the precious blood. So it's something to consider. Do I want Jesus' precious blood to be poured out over the whole world? I do. Do I want everybody's sins to be forgiven over the whole world so we stop offending God and we can make it into heaven? I absolutely do. That means that I want Jesus' precious blood to be poured over anybody I would have considered my enemy as well because other people might consider me their enemy. And I would hate for them to say, nope, Dr. Sandoval doesn't get the precious blood and because I'm going to hold on to grudges. That's a tough place to be in. It's very, very hard to forgive, though, when we feel that in our hearts we have been wronged. So what happened to my patient? What happened to him in terms of, you know, he's coming in, he's looking depressed, he's hunched over, he's in his 40s, and he's looking old and weathered. And why is this the case? Because he keeps holding on to this grudge of the betrayal of his brother that has been five years since this occurred between him and his brother. His brother took some money. He didn't handle the properties well. Um, and he really stole from his brother. Well, what did we start talking about? One of the interesting things that I noticed is this uh, patient of mine actually was wearing a scapular. Okay, so does a scapular prevent us from uh, all sin and and uh, protect us from all evil entities? Depends on the condition of our heart. And in this particular case, he was holding on to unforgiveness. So we started talking about his scapular a little bit. I asked him what that meant. And he just said, oh, you know, it's a religious thing. I'm Catholic. And I said, oh, that's wonderful. Tell me a little bit about your faith. We started talking about his Catholic faith. And on the scapular he had, it wasn't the brown scapular. It was actually the sacred heart scapular. And so I asked him about the sacred heart, what that meant, uh, what it meant to him. And he was talking about Jesus and how Jesus died for him. And we said, yeah, these are important topics. And why did Jesus die? And he said, well, because we sinned. We started getting into the topic really more than anything else. It really came down to the precious blood of Christ. Not directly. I didn't, we didn't use the words of precious blood, but it was really down to the point where we said, we literally said, you know, Jesus died and he's, and he, uh, he shed his blood for your sins, my sins and your brother's sins. Something about that clicked for him. Now, different things are going to click for different people, but something about that clicked for him where we started talking about the sacred heart the blood coming out of the sacred heart. And we started talking about how this blood was for everybody, how Jesus died for everybody, how if Jesus died for him and for his brother, does his brother deserve to be forgiven? So we got into the topic of, well, does your brother deserve to go to heaven or not? And he was saying, well, that's between him and God. But we started looking at these Bible passages. We started saying, hey, in the Bible, it says, if you have something against your brother, you got you to gotta leave your offering at the altar and you have to go and reconcile with your brother. He started thinking about that. And little by little, he started kind of working that into his heart. He started standing up a little bit straighter. He didn't have the spiritual burden as much when he started thinking about it, but he hadn't taken the crucial step. And I said, you know, your brother's still alive? And he says, yeah. I said, have you ever called him and told him that you forgive him? He said, I don't talk to him. I just don't talk to him at all. And I said, well, have you ever thought about calling him and telling him you forgive him? He said, no, I can't do that. And I said, okay, well, what about in your heart? Can you forgive him in your heart? How do we know that you forgive him in your heart? You're probably not going to ruminate as much. You're probably going to start looking forward and stop looking backward. You're not going to uh, hold on to these thoughts that are plaguing you all day long because a lot of times he was, you know, different doctors had said, oh, you have OCD, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder because you're having these obsessive thoughts. Eh, you can look at it that way, but he wasn't 
He didn't have any compulsions. He was just having obsessive thoughts. I would dare say it was more of a depressed state with uh, uh, an oppression, you know, with obsessions and oppressions, spiritual obsessions and oppressions, uh, because this, these thoughts just wouldn't leave his mind, but he wasn't necessarily doing anything about it. So there was no compulsion there. There was nothing to treat in terms of it. And he wasn't anxious. You know, obsessive compulsive disorder usually comes with an anxiety along with it. And that wasn't his case. He was just really, really a wreck. He wasn't living. He wasn't experiencing life. He was, like I said, he was hunched over. As we started talking about forgiving his brother, though, as we started talking about where does Jesus play a role in my life? Am I willing to forgive people? Am I willing to say, God, I just want your forgiveness and I'll do whatever it takes so that I can make it into heaven. We started really looking at, you know, life and death because I brought up the topic to him. I said, you know, it seems like you're not feeling alive right now. It seems like you're just kind of in a stale, um, kind of a death and an emotional death. And he agreed, you know, it wasn't offensive to him at all. He re- he recognized that he wasn't doing things that he used to do. He says that he used to like, he used to like to go for nice walks. He used to read books. He used to talk to his wife more. He used to be more involved in his kids' lives. And he just attributed, you know, things going south because his uh, family wasn't around and because they weren't talking anymore. And, um, you know, the kids were getting older, so they weren't as interested. And his wife was getting uh, a little bit more tired. And so he attributed these things. But as we started looking in his heart, as I started asking him, what's it worth to you? You know, the money's gone. There's nothing you can do to bring it back. Thinking about it's not going to bring it back. What are you going to do moving forward? He actually got to the point where we got to the point in the therapy where I said, what if you were to just call your brother one time and just tell him, you know, what you did was really messed up. It's, it's messed up our lives and I forgive you. And I just want to leave it at that. I don't know that we can have a relationship, but I just want to let you know that I'm not going to let this burden me anymore. He actually did that. He was able to. Now, not everybody's able to do that in a way that's going to be healthy. And you got to look at each case individually. But he actually did that. He called his brother and he said, you know what? I forgive you for that. He told me at that moment, something happened. His brother on the other, on the other line, one, he was surprised that he even called him. He had not talked to his brother in years. And he told me that his brother started to cry. And he started to cry and he started, and he just said, thank you. And they hung up. That was the first conversation. They hung up. He waited a little while and his brother called him back. And at this point, his brother told him, he thanked him for forgiving him because they were both carrying this burden, this very, very heavy heavy burden. He didn't realize that his brother started drinking. He started to feel bad because he started to feel remorseful, but he didn't know how to ask for forgiveness. He didn't know how to even talk to his brother because he felt ashamed. He felt ashamed for what he did. He actually was remorseful for what he did. Well, they started talking. And it's not to say that their whole relationship got better right away because this man wasn't ready to trust his brother just yet. Initially, his brother wanted to make up to him and said, you know what, I can do this. We can get back in business. I, I want you to trust me. I want you to, to do this. You know, you know, we can get back into the real estate market or whatever business he wanted to do. But the patient said, I'm not ready for that. You know, And that was fair. That was completely fair. He's like, I forgive you, but I'm going to need a little bit of time to heal. Why? Because this grudge he had been carrying, this unforgiveness, he'd been carrying it for years. The longer we carry it, the bigger the wound, the longer it's going to take to heal. If we're in a position where I've already preemptively asked everybody's forgiveness, so to speak, for my fault and forgiven everybody for any potential faults they're going to have for against me, I'm going to be very, very, very quick to forgive. If I'm very quick to forgive, I'm not going to carry the wounds. It's not going to hurt as badly. 
I'm going to be in a Christ-like situation. Christ is ready to forgive us any time. Think about it. Christ is waiting for us at the confessional. He's not, he's not hiding. He's not saying, ah, oh, you know, I'm only going to forgive you once a year because I'm going to hold on to the grudge. No, the confession, confession can happen anytime. Jesus' forgiveness is there for us 24-7. We're the ones who have the closed door that we don't go and ask for it. How much quicker would this relationship had healed had either the brother who betrayed my patient asked for forgiveness right away and called him up and said, I'm, I'm very sorry. Or my patient would have said, you know what? I know you betrayed me. You messed up. I forgive you. Let's move forward. That would have been very, very quick. I think Jesus is ready to do that for us. God is ready to do that for us. Am I ready to do that for other people? Am I ready to be truly independent? Once there's confession, I think once we go to confession, there's fireworks all the time. You know, for us, 4th of July, that's our independence day. We light up fireworks because we're so happy that we are free to live as we feel is right in the eyes of God. I think that's what happens every time we go to confession. Heaven starts shooting off fireworks everywhere and saying, this person wants to make it right. I think that's what happens every time we forgive each other. Heaven starts shooting up fireworks and saying, hey, the body of Christ is healed. It's a lot easier to forgive sometimes than others, but is it a sin to not forgive? Well, if we looked at what happened to these two brothers, they were becoming dead. They were dying. They were, one of them was, you know, you know, let out cries because he was so happy that his brother forgave him. My patient himself was obviously dying inside. He wasn't looking healthy. He was looking older. He was hunched over. It was not a happy place for him. What sin is this? What commandment does it go against? It really goes against the first commandment. If I can't forgive my brother, that means that I'm not loving God. I'm not putting God first. I'm putting my own hurt, my own pain before my love of God. Let's look at this uh, Bible passage here. This is from Matthew chapter 22, verse 30 or verse 36 to 40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Well, here's the important part, folks. If I'm going to love God with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind, before I can love anybody else, I got to look at how does God love me and how do I love God? I love God in a way that I say, I humbly put myself before you and I ask your forgiveness because I know I'm not perfect and I know that I need forgiveness and I know that anything I do falls short of your perfection. That's how I need to love myself. I need to love myself in a way that I say, God, give me your love. Show me how to love. Once I see that, and that's how I'm loving myself. Now I can love my neighbor as myself and look at my neighbor and say, you're going to need forgiveness too. You're not perfect just the way I'm not perfect. But let's both go before God and ask for his forgiveness and forgive each other. And then we are truly independent. And until next time, this is Dr. Sandoval saying, keep it capital.